there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, we're going to continue uh, with our series called uh, Connect. And uh, as I said last week, connection is important. Uh, and I'm reminded of a story I heard many, many years ago. Um, it, it happened uh, uh, with a guy named Herbert Jackson. That might not mean much to you. Herbert Jackson is a kind of a legendary uh, missionary, Bible college professor. And um, he tells the story of when he started a new uh, mission and uh, he was assigned a car. Uh, and the car wouldn't start without a push. So you had to pop the clutch. Now, if you don't know what it means to pop the clutch, that's, that's a good thing. That just means you're not old, um, right? Um, but so, you know, to, to get it started, he had to pop the clutch. And so he had this routine. Um, every morning he would start out and he would go to the local school. He had permission from the teacher to pull four or five kids out of class and they would begin to push the car, and he would pop the clutch, and it would start. And then uh, he would make his rounds for the day. And he said he always parked on a hill, or he left the car running. Because uh, if he's parked on a hill, he could just go down the hill, pop the clutch. And, and he did this for over two years. Then he got sick. And it became apparent that he was going to have to, to leave uh, where he was a missionary. And so the new missionary arrived and uh, Jackson was showing him around and he proudly began to explain his arrangement uh, with starting the car. But while he was talking, this new missionary opened up the hood and he was listening to him, to him but he was fumbling around and he said, why, Dr. Jackson, I believe the only trouble is a loose cable. He gave that cable a twist. He stepped into the car, pushed the switch, and to Jackson's amazement, the engine roared to life. Two years, needless, this needless trouble had become routine. The, the power was there all the time, but there was a loose connection that kept Jackson from putting that power to work. Connection is important. This is a six-week sermon series we're in, and we are just diving headfirst into our mission statement here at Elevate Christian Church, uh, which is a very simple mission statement. Uh, we exist to connect people with God and each other. And so week one, last week, we talked about this, and we said, hey, one of the best ways, one of the first things that we can do to connect people with God is to introduce them to Jesus, Right? That I, I can't save you, but I can introduce you to the one who does. Well, week two, this week, we want to begin to talk about how to connect with God through worship. We, we don't want you to connect with, uh, with God just through our worship service. I mean, that's part of it, yeah. But bigger picture, we want you to connect through a lifestyle of worship. And so with that introduction out of the way, uh, I, I want to give you four things to think about uh, in the arena of, of you connecting with God through worship. 
All right, and we're just, number one is very simple, uh, and this might be a surprise to you. Oh, by the way, we do have bulletins, uh, outlines, if they're back there with the communion, if you want to grab one. And if the sermon's boring, we got announcements on the back, so you can just watch, uh, look at those while I preach. Either way, I'm, I'm just glad you're here. All right, um, so here's my first point uh, about connecting with God through worship. Number one is this, worship, hear me, is far more than music. Let me say that again, because I, I, I want you, I want, we want to be crystal clear here. Worship is far more than music. Now, we try to make it about music, don't we? Like one of the questions that we often ask when we're looking for a church is we say, well, what's your worship like? What are we asking there? We're simply asking, what kind of music do you have? Do you sing hymns? Or do you sing praise courses? Because when I hear worship, what's your worship like? It, it reminds me of a, of a story I heard about an old farmer. <laughs> and uh, he went to the city to sell produce and he had to stay the entire weekend. And so he decided to attend one of these big city churches. And he came home and his wife asked him, she said, how was it? Well, said the farmer, it was good. They did something a little different, however. They sang praise courses instead of hymns. Praise courses, said the wife. What are those? He said, oh, they're okay. They're sort of like hymns, but only different, said the farmer. Well, what's the different? What's the difference, asked the wife. Well, the farmer said, well, it's like this, honey. If I, if I were to say to you, Martha, the cows are in the corn. Well, that would be a hymn. If on the other hand, I would say to you, Martha, 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 oh, Martha, 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 the cows, all the cows, the big cows, the small cows, the brown cows, the black cows, the white cows, the spotted cows, the cows, the cows, the cows are in the corn, in the corn, in the corn. Well, that would be a praise hymn, right? So... <laughs> Be careful what you clap for, because I prefer praise hymns. <laughs> but I want you to think about it. When we think about the word worship, we, we often think about, well, what kind of music do, do you have? Worship has somehow become a synonym for music. And this is not what we're talking about. I want to take you to an interesting verse in the Bible. I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back through, and I'll kind of explain to you why I picked this, this particular verse. It's found in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 21. And here's what it says. This is a, one of those famous lineage passages here. And this is actually through the lineage of Cain, Adam's son. Verse 21 of Genesis 4 says this, His brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Now say, this is a descendant of Cain, and most biblical scholars would tell you this is the invention of music right here on earth. Genesis 4.21. If you have the musical gene, if you can, if you can string it or blow it or drum it, um, you, you, this all comes from Jubal, the father of music. So a lot of scholars say this is when music was invented. Now, think about where we are for a second. This is Genesis 4. This is after the creation of the world. This is after Adam and Eve were created, sin 
fell and were cast out of the garden. We don't have music until Genesis 4.21. Do you think that Adam and Eve worshiped God in the garden? Absolutely they did. Scripture says they walked with God. They talked with God. They spent time with him. They, they communed with God. And this was well before music was invented. So when we say we want to connect you with God, and one of the ways that we want to connect you is through worship, we don't mean we just want you to come in here and sing for, for 30 minutes. So... Um, and we, we, we feed into that as a church a little bit too, and I, and, I, and I realize that, right? We call this, what do we call this service? Our worship service. And not only is that our worship service, guess where it's held? In our worship center, all right? And so we give the picture of, hey, worship is coming to church, coming to this little square room in the worship center. Uh, in all reality, this should be called the sanctuary, it really should, because this should be a safe place uh, to, to worship, right? Um, if, if we're really going to be technical about this, I want you to think about this. The word worship center should be on the exit door. When you leave this building, you're walking into the world to worship. The word worship center should be over our homes. When we come home, we still are bringing God with us. It should be over our office uh, entrances, over our classroom doors, because we are called to worship all the time. So we're going in in, to get into this in just a minute, but worship is not just music. Worship is a lifestyle. All right. So uh, worship is not just music. That's point number one. Point number two is this. Worship is about the heart. It's all about the heart. You can have the prettiest voice in the world, but if your heart is far from God, he does, it, it doesn't matter right? It's all about the heart. Worship is one of the most important aspects of the Christian life. It's absolutely essential that one who claims to walk with God worships God. And to worship God, we've got to have the right heart. Um, I think you know this, but you do know it is possible to worship God in vain, yeah? I mean, you can sing with your lips uh, I could be up here preaching, uh, you could take communion, you could go out into the world and tell about people about Jesus, but if your heart ain't right, you ain't worshiping. Jesus says in Matthew 15, and he's actually quoting from the prophet Isaiah, okay? So this is in Old Testament and New Testament, so all bases are covered. Here's what Jesus says, this people honors me with their lips, so that's like coming to church saying, God is good. God is good all the time. Yes, and, and we're honoring with, with our lips. But their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. You see, I think worship that flows from the heart is a decision that has to be made daily. We are creatures of worship. We're either going to worship things, people, ourselves, or God. And worshiping God has to be an absolute daily decision, yeah? Every day, we've got to, when we wake up, we've got to decide, am I going to be a creature of worship? Look at Luke 9, 23. This is Jesus talking again. And he, says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, 
He must deny himself and take up his cross. How often? Daily. Daily. And follow me. This is what we're talking about when we want to connect you with God through worship. This is a daily event. We all have things that we don't want to leave the house without, right? And I think for, for a lot of people, uh, I, I, I kind of missed the curve on this. It's this right here, right? Have you ever seen somebody who can't find their phone? Like my kids are that way. Uh, all right, it's time to go. I can't go. I, I can't find my phone. I cannot leave the house without my phone. I will die, right? If I can't get on, I have got to have this with me. Now, for me, it's not my phone. It's probably my keys because there's like a million doors here and everyone has a different lock. And so I would be lost. But for a lot of people, it's this. And, and we would not dare leave home without it, right? What if we took that same attitude towards picking up our cross daily, like Jesus said. You see, worship is not just an event. Worship is about what's going on in our heart. All right, that's number two. Number three, I might get you out of here early for once. Number three, and and this is like, this is the main course here. This is like the most important, I think, to me. Number three is this. And if we can just grasp this, it's life-changing. Worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. Let me say that one more time. Worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. You see, it's not just something we do. It becomes who we are. It becomes part of us. The psalmist writes in Psalm 113.3 these words. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. In other words, from the time we wake up until the time we go to sleep, as long as I'm awake, as long as I have my awareness about me, I will praise the Lord. I will worship him daily, all day, every day. See, when we decide to put God first in everything, and, and let's talk about it. What do I mean by everything? I mean everything. Every decision we make, all the relationships we find ourselves in, what our calendars look like, what our finances look like. When we strive to put God first and please him and obey his commands, when we do this constantly and consistently, we are living a life of worship. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, 31. It says this, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, I love that phrase, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. If we could live our lives through, through that lens, we would see, we would see a transformation like, like no other, right? If we would just begin to ask ourselves this question, is what I'm about to do, does this bring glory to God? What I'm about to watch on the TV, is this going to bring glory to God? What I listen to, the internet, the internet sites I visit, do they bring glory to God? How I spend my time, 
how I act, interact, and react to people? Does it bring glory to God? How I manage my money, every relationship that I'm in, do I look through the lens and say, hey, is this bringing glory to God? Our lives would radically change if we began asking ourselves these questions every day with all the decisions in our lives. And so, um, listen, this is a big change because I think uh, churches are full of people who go to worship but don't live lives of worship. And so this is not something that's going to happen like overnight. It takes some time. But l- let me just offer you uh, a small challenge. All right, last week we gave you a challenge to just start introducing people to Jesus. Quit trying to be the martyr. You're not the Messiah. Quit trying to save them. You can't save them. Don't attract them to you. Attract them to Jesus, right? Just simply keep introducing Jesus to them. Well, so this week I've got a small challenge for you to start making some small daily changes that will begin to steer you in the arena of living a life of worship. So this is just a couple of mine. I do it. It works for me. It may not work for you. I know many of you have a long commute into work, all right? And so uh, podcasting is very popular. And so maybe you listen to a podcast or you listen to like the morning zoo show with some zany, you know, host, or maybe you're a talk radio gal or, or maybe you're a sports talk radio guy. And those things are fine. Those things are great. But let's say you have an hour commute. I want to challenge you. Listen to your podcast. Listen, listen to uh, your radio station. Uh, for, for 30 minutes of that, but then take the other 30 minutes, plug your phone up with your Bible app, press play, and just listen to the Word of God. Um, I like to do this right before I get home, because I know when I get home, my job is not over. What a failure I would be if I minister to you, but don't, don't even minister to my own family, right? And it begins to get you in that mindset. So, I mean, talk radio is great. I mean, I live, I live for sports. I, I, that's, what, that's my thing. But replace some of that with the Word of God. All right, second little change. Maybe you don't listen to anything like that. Maybe you're a music person. I also love music. So if you have an hour commute, listen to what you, know, you want to, but that, that lasts 30 minutes. Plug in some praise and, praise and worship songs. If you don't like praise and worship, plug in some hymns. You know, whatever it is that, that, that gets you in that mindset uh, to constantly remind you that wherever I move, wherever I go, whoever I talk to, I'm commissioned by the Lord to be salt and light. And here's another one, and this is one I, I desperately have to work on. Desperately. Your body, my body. How do we treat it? Right? And I'm not telling you to eat kale and Pilates every day of your, or eat kale and do Pilates every day of your life. But, you know, uh, I have horrible, horrible eating habits. All right? So how we take care of our body is, is, signifies it is the temple of the Lord. It's an act of worship. And then here's another one that, 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 that I do. And this is difficult for me. And you're going to be like, that's weird. Um, smile. Smile more. You know, we just came through uh, COVID where a year, for a year you couldn't see anyone's face, really. Couldn't see anyone smile. 
now we're in this weird era of no, nobody wants to be canceled, so we don't want to look anyone in the eye because it might lead to confrontation, and they might make an accusation, and so people aren't smiling, their heads are down, and so I, I decided a few weeks ago, man, I need, to, I, need to, I need to smile more. Now, this is difficult for me, all right, for, for a number of reasons. Um, number one, uh, when I was a kid, my, I had a gap in my tooth the size of the Grand Canyon, between my front teeth, and so I was made fun of a lot, and so I didn't like to smile, all right? Number two, uh, my wife tells me uh, that my resting face is, uh, <laughs> you can fill in the blank, right? I'm, I'm six foot five. I always kind of have this constant scowl look on my face. I can be very intimidating to people, so I'm the guy that nobody wants to make eye contact with, right? <laughs> So, but here lately, man, when I go to the grocery store and I'm just kind of walking around, I got my head up and I'm smiling and this is crazy. People smile back. And then sometimes it begins to, to morph into a conversation and, and it's an opportunity to say, oh man, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. Are you a Christian? Well, I'm glad you asked, right? And, and, it, and it leads to, to those opportunities. Now listen, I'm not telling you to be creepy, not like Right? right? But just smile more. You're, I, take a posture of joy. Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet. So just mix in a few of those things, those small things that might lead to a seismic shift in, in, in your life. Because here's why we do this. And this is the beauty right here to me. When we worship God daily like that, you know what it does? It changes our entire perspective on life. I remember going to my hometown of Virginia, and I went to the annual Apple Blossom, Blossom Festival. Uh, where I had Lindy was with me, my wife, and that's when we only had two kids. Man, life was easy and breezy. We had two little kids. Jay was a baby, and Reagan was not even like two years old. And so we, they have this huge parade. I mean, it's a big, big deal up there. I wish I could just take all of you with me one time so you'd be like, oh, you ain't lying. This is awesome. Anyway, so you know how parades are where people line the streets. And so they had all of these beautiful floats and marching bands, and they have celebrities come in. And, and, right, and so I, I'm watching, and I've got my daughter, who is like not even two years old, and she's like this, this tall. She can't see anything. So this is what I did. I picked her up, and dads, moms, you've done this before, right? And I put her up on my shoulders. And man, I'm tall. She could see the whole thing. You see, when we practice a lifestyle of worship, we're worshiping God, but a beautiful byproduct of that is that God begins to pick us up and put us on his shoulders. And when we do this, we, see, we can see past and over the sin in our lives. We can see past and over all the broken relationships we've been through. We can see past and over all of our problems, all of our hurts, all of our bad habits, all of our hangups. Amen, CR? All of them. We can see over that because when we worship God, he changes our perspective. And listen, I don't want you to just have a perspective of one day I'm going to have an abundant life. I want you to hold to the promise that Jesus 
Jesus says you can have an abundant life and you can have it today. You can have it now. And it's not about the things I give you or the things I take away. It's about God lifting you up, putting you on his shoulders and changing your whole perspective. That's the type of worship we're talking about. All right, I'm off track of where I'm at. All right. Worship's far more than music. Worship is about the heart. Worship is not part of our life. It is our life. And number four, this is beautiful. Worship is a response. It's not an action. It's a response. When we live lives of worship, we're responding to the goodness of God. So Roland Allen defines worship in his writing by saying this, quote, Worship is an act of response to God whereby we declare his worth, end of quote. And I love that, church, because it means that worship isn't passive, it's participative. Worship isn't simply a mood, it is a response. Worship is not just a feeling, it's a declaration. So if you would put this like in theological terms, we we would say it this way. Worship is from revelation to response. Revelation to response. So here's what we mean by this. True worship is always, if it's done correctly, it is always a response to the greatness of God, period. That's what it's for. But worship is the second act in the scene. The first act is God's revelation. And when we say God's revelation, that is who he is and what he does. That's always the first act. And then worship is the response to who he is and what he's done in our lives. Paul defines worship in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And here's what he says. Give me one second. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, I want you to notice something here. Notice that Paul doesn't begin with our action first. What is our action? It's offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. Rather, the act of worship is a response to what God is doing. Because he starts out by saying, by the mercies of God. Some of your translations are going to say, in view of God's mercies. So what that scripture is saying is, when we see God's mercy on us, we then respond to that said mercy. That's worship. So when the Lord does something good for us, we respond with thanksgiving and gratitude. When the Lord reveals his beauty, his majesty, and his goodness, we respond with praise. When the Lord demonstrates the extent of his sacrifice upon the cross to save us from sin and death, we respond with offering our lives to his service. Worship is the only fitting response to what God's done for us. He saved our life. He cleansed us from our sins. And he promises us to give us a full and abundant life 
in and through and with him. And so we respond with a life of worship. In the late or in the 1960s, up into the early 1970s, if you were at a certain beach in Florida, you would see a man, you would have seen a man every Friday night walking slowly down the beach, just shuffling his feet, stooped over, posture kind of bent, carrying a massive bucket of shrimp. And he would go to the same pier every Friday night. And when he got to that pier, the seagulls would begin to flock to this old man. And he would just reach his hand and he would start throwing that shrimp up and seagulls. You know, you've been to the beach and you made the mistake of trying to feed one seagull a chip, right? And then before you know it, you got, it's like Alfred Hitchcock, the birds, you got to pack up and go. So these are just seagulls everywhere around this, this, this man. Many people thought, oh, that's just a crazy old man. Instead of the crazy cat lady, he's a crazy seagull man, right? But he wasn't. He was actually one of World War II's most decorated pilots. His name was Eddie Rickenbacker. And many, many years before that, in October of 1942, Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17. He had seven crewmen with him to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur. But somewhere over the South Pacific, they were running dangerously low on fuel. They lost radio transmission, and so they had to ditch their plane in the ocean. Eight men on a raft in the middle of the ocean, lost at sea. They were there for almost an entire month. And Captain Eddie and his companions, they fought everything. The weather, massive sunburn. They had sharks, big sharks ramming their raft dehydration. The only water they had is when it rained and whatever the raft collected, that's what they drank. But their, by far, their biggest and most formidable foe was starvation. As the weeks went by, these guys were, they had no rations. These guys were starving to death. It would take a miracle to sustain them. Well, a miracle occurred. Out in the middle of the ocean, in the middle of nowhere, it happened in the morning time, and, and, and even though they were stranded at sea, they did devotions together. And, and, and by the way, one guy did die, and they had to bury him at sea. But they knew that others were going to die, and so they did devotions, and, and Eddie laid back in the raft, and he kind of took his cap and put over his forehead there and was trying to take a nap. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a seagull flies and lands on his head. He said, I didn't see it, I felt it. He said, I knew exactly what it was. And he said, I was peering through, you know, my, the, the bill of my hat and everybody on the raft froze. He, and he said, I, I had to react. And lightning fast, Eddie pulled his hands up. He grabbed that seagull and they wrung its neck. And they opened that thing up and they all had a seagull nugget, right? They all had a bite of a seagull. But then they took the innards of that seagull, fashioned some hooks and used it as bait, which they were able to catch fish. And then the, when they caught those fish, they were to use their intestines to catch other fish. And because of that one seagull that appeared out of nowhere, it saved his, their life. Rickenbacker never forgot about the visitor who came from this foreign place 
this sacrificial guest. And so every week until his death, he went out with a bucket of shrimp to say thank you. Friends, the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he writes these words, For the love of Christ compels us. You know what that word compels, what that phrase compels us means in the Greek? It means it leaves me no choice. Paul is saying, man, I have no choice but to respond to the love of Jesus with my whole entire being. When we say we want to connect you to God, with, uh, with God through worship, this is what we mean. We mean that in Christ, we live, we move, and we have our being. And so I want to invite you uh, to, to make this a priority in your life, to, be, to begin to try to live a life of worship. There's a nasty little word that, that's, that we've got to get over if we're going to do this correctly. It's a word we don't like, obedience. Just being obedient. If God says it, I believe it, and I'm going to do it. Why? Because the love of Christ compels me. It leaves me no choice. His revelation is this, for God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son to die so that we wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Our response is, man, thank you, God. I want to worship you. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.